0: 2 verses 21 to 40, which you will find in the Blue Church Bibles, page 1027. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your your own soul too there was also a prophet anna the daughter of penuel of the tribe of asia she was very old she had lived with her husband 7 years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him.
1: Well, thank you very much, Stuart. Uh, thank you, Trinity Church Mount Barker, for having me back. Good morning. Uh, my name's Tim. If I haven't had the joy of meeting you before. I'd love to say uh, good day. A bit of a late Merry Christmas, a bit of an early Happy New Year. Um, but also, I'd love to say, as one of the leaders over next door, a big thank you uh, for sharing the site, for sharing the car park, for sharing the crazy logistics this morning. Uh, just to, you know, kind of I guess encourage you, uh, CE Camp at the moment, as far as I'm aware, has about 220 teenagers from all over South Australia uh, here for the week to to hear God's word taught, to do crazy games, to run around, and prayerfully uh, for those who don't know Jesus yet to come to know Him. Uh, so thank you for helping out with that. It's really a joy. Well, what are you waiting for? Uh, with Christmas just behind us. Uh, Maybe you're just waiting for the new year to begin, waiting to have a bit more certainty about what the date is. My hunch is that for many of us, there might be something deeper causing us to wait a little bit anxiously. Maybe it's a wait for a loved one uh, to let us know that they're safe. Certainly over the last couple of weeks, I'm sure many of you have had nervous waits as you've waited to hear about friends, family, their property, how they've been going through the bushfires. I know for me, I've seen my Facebook feed pop up plenty of times with friends who are in Cuddly Creek. Or maybe you're waiting for the results of a medical test. Maybe you're waiting to find a husband or a wife. Maybe you're waiting to fall pregnant. Maybe you're waiting for school to finally be back as a parent or as a child. Maybe you're waiting for your luck to turn around. We all wait, don't we? And I think we can all relate to one of my favorite uh, fictional characters, Homer Simpson, who says, now we play the waiting game. Ah, the waiting game sucks. Let's play Hungry Hungry Hippos. Uh, Waiting is hard. It's something we all do, isn't it? And when we read through Luke's gospel account, which Stuart read to us just before, we see that Jesus is the one worth waiting for. Uh, In the midst of all the other waiting we do in our life, Jesus is the one that Luke wants to remind us to be waiting for. Jesus is God who became a busy human baby boy. A baby boy born into a poor religious family. A baby boy who was received with great joy by a righteous man and an old widow. A baby boy who was carried out of the temple. So as we dive into this passage, uh, please join me in prayer. Father God, thank you that you are a God who speaks to us by your word. We pray that as we hear it, and as I preach it, that you will help us to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd love to invite you to keep your Bibles open uh, to the passage that was just read out before. Uh, And we see, as we look into this passage, that Mary and Joseph were a poor religious family who walked with God into the temple. Please look with me again at verses 22 to 24. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Uh, I glossed over verse 21 there, but we saw in verse 21 that Jesus was circumcised and was given the name Jesus, following the law of God given to Joseph and Mary. They're religious parents. They want to obey God. They want to follow his commands. And in that sense, they're not too different to most parents around Australia, I would think. I mean, sure, circumcision is a little bit different in Australia compared to first century Judeo-Christian kind of Palestine, But on the other hand, they're following the law. They're following the wisdom of their day. They name their son on the eighth day, and they get him circumcised. Standard practice for raising a Jewish kid. Now, full disclosure, I'm not a parent. That might not surprise you, given how much sugar I give to kids and youth on camps. But how do you take care of a baby? What are the essentials? Uh, As far as I can tell from my dying pot plants, neglect is not a key ingredient. So I took to Google to find out some of the advice of parenting from the last 100 years. Uh, Here's just a couple of highlights. Uh, First of all, in the 1930s, it was a bit of a trend to put babies in cages, hanging out of windows, to give them a fresh air and a view of the world. Uh, In the 1960s, we had a chestnut of wisdom from Walter W. Sackett Jr., who recommended offering babies black coffee from six months of age. Uh, Seeing a few parents looking a little bit cringy there. Of course, more recently, we have the more modern push to help prenatal babies develop by listening to Mozart in the womb. Again, just stock standard wisdom of the day. What's most extraordinary about this part of Jesus' life here in Luke is just how ordinary it is. He's just a run-of-the-mill Jewish baby boy. He's being raised in a well-meaning religious family. So after he's circumcised, we fast forward to when Jesus is 40 days old. Now, according to God's law for Jewish people, uh, when mum gave birth to the baby boy, she'd be unclean for 40 days. And then after those 40 days, she was to come to the temple and provide a sacrifice to make her clean again. Now, this isn't really the main point of what's going on here in Luke, but just as a quick aside... Now, the Bible tends to talk about clean and unclean, these categories. It's talking about association with things touched by death, with things touched by the curse for sin. See, back in Genesis 3, way back at the start of the Bible, when when humanity first rebelled against God, God placed a curse on childbearing. All of a sudden, childbearing was painful. All of a sudden, it was life-threatening. All of a sudden, it was a messy business. Now, it certainly wasn't sinful. That's not what clean and unclean are talking about here. But it was a reminder of sin's effects, a reminder of the curse that was on the world because of sin. And so it was a reminder that us as God's people couldn't just waltz into God's presence. Mary, wanting to honor and obey God, came in to present her purification sacrifice to be made clean again. Now, in verse 24, we noticed that Mary offered... A pair of t- doves or two young pigeons. Now, I don't know what you thought of that, but if we actually follow this back to Leviticus 12, verse 8, we notice this description of the offering for purification there. Uh, we see, sorry, it's up on the screens on the sides, but probably not right behind me, uh, that there was to be a purification offering presented. However, God offered that for people who were too poor to afford a lamb to give the doves or the pigeons. Which tells us that Mary and Joseph were not a rich family. They used the concession option. Now, what's incredible there, though, in all of that, is that Jesus, God's own son, made Mary unclean. God made Mary unclean. How how can that happen? Have you ever thought about that? The only way this is possible is if Jesus really was human. If Jesus really was born. If he really had an umbilical cord attached to a placenta. Isn't that mind-blowing? Something as everyday as a purification sacrifice in a temple in Jerusalem was proof that God was human. He's not so other and so different anymore that he doesn't get what it's like to be one of us. He truly is one of us, which is great news for us. He gets what it's like to be sick. He gets what it's like to be tired and hangry. He gets what it's like to be hurt. He gets what it's like to be lonely. He gets what it's like to be frustrated with mum and dad. We'll talk more about that next week. He gets what it's like to have unfulfilled desires and longings. He is truly 100% Authentic human. And at this point, he's a swaddled baby being carried around in the temple in Jerusalem. And just across the room in that temple, we have another two religious people, Simeon and Anna, and they were waiting. They were waiting for Jesus. Please look with me at verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. The consolation of Israel. It's a little bit of a funny phrase, isn't it? A little bit bizarre. We'll we'll come back to it in just a moment. Just turn with me now down to verse 38, the other end, where we see what Anna did. Uh, Verse 38, coming up to them at that very moment, she, Anna, gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When we talk about consolation of Israel, when we talk about redemption of Jerusalem, we're getting back into some of God's big promises in the Old Testament. God's big promises to save his people, Israel. See, way back in 605 BC, when King Nebuchadnezzar, this big, mighty king of Babylon, first came through and and conquered Jerusalem, he took a bunch of their people into exile it was the start of a very long exile for god's people israel but even in the midst of that exile god made huge promises through his prophets prophets like isaiah and jeremiah god promised that he would save his people from exile he promised many many times consolation comfort redemption So what could a righteous man and an old widow, what would cause them to respond to Jesus as this source of consolation, as this source of redemption? He's a baby. He can't even walk yet. Well, it was all because they saw him as the fulfillment of that promise. This child Jesus was full of promise, much like us waiting for a cool change, much like our fireys waiting for rain. God's true followers were waiting and longing for his comfort. They were waiting for his Christ. And that's exactly why Simeon responds the way he does, down there in verses 28 to 32. Please read it again with me now. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servants in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. I'm not sure if you noticed it there in verse 30, but Simeon said, My eyes have seen your salvation. He's saying that he had seen God's big rescue plan for the world, drenched in sin and in judgment um, for rebellion. He had seen the God-man Jesus who had come to bring the rescue. He had experienced the joy of seeing God's saving plan in action. And not just him either. It wasn't just Simeon who saw it. As we saw it there in verses 31 and 32, this salvation was prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. God's saving plans on display for the Gentiles, the non-Israelites, as well as the people of Israel. Jesus is God's salvation and consolation for the whole world, for everyone who has ever felt the pain of the brokenness in this world the pain of unfulfilled longings, the pain of unwanted same-sex attraction, the pain of loneliness, the pain of being a victim, the pain of addiction. Jesus is God's salvation for us. Jesus is God's salvation for the whole world. Have you ever thought about it like that? Now, even though Jesus is this Savior for us from that brokenness in the world, there's more to it than that. Jesus isn't just a Savior who brings consolation for Israel and Jerusalem, for God's people suffering back in first century Palestine. He's a Savior for the Gentiles too, which means that the problem Jesus is saving us from has to be bigger than this exile, has to be bigger than just this comfort and redemption from exile for the Jewish people in the first century. It has to be a problem that every human experiences. And I think as we look at this here, as we talk about Christmas, it actually reminds us that this problem is ungratefulness. See, God made us. God made everything around us. He's the one who deserves our love and our praise. But we don't naturally give it to him, do we? If you're anything like me, you might have a bit of a gratitude problem. I reckon we especially see it coming out when it comes to Christmas. See, back when I was 10 years old, I was introduced to the wonderful world of Lord of the Rings. Um, Everyone know Lord of the Rings? It's it's not that scary. Excellent. Uh, The Fellowship of the Ring had just come out in cinemas. And for Christmas, my parents bought me the three-book volume of The Lord of the Rings. I was so excited about it. Now, we had a bit of delayed Christmas celebration with some of our extended family. And for my Christmas present, my auntie and uncle bought me exactly the same gift. The same edition, everything. Now, 10-year-old Tim was not very good at gratitude. I still cringe thinking about this. Uh, When I received the gift, I said, oh, I already got that from Mum and dad. It's worth $40. Can you return it and get me another present for $40? Now, I completely missed the point, didn't I? And maybe that story hits a bit close to home for some of us. I know I still have a gratitude problem. I still focus so much more easily on what I'm given, on the gift itself, than on the person who gives it. And if I was like that with a $40 book, how much worse is my ingratitude to the God who made me, who made all this world around me? At the very least, my aunt and uncle deserve to thank you. But God made me. He made everything. And because of that, he is the ruler of all of us. So me, you, we've all rebelled against him. We've all been ungrateful. And that's what we need saving from. Our ungratefulness. Jesus is that savior of the whole world for me and for you. This eight pound, six ounce baby, don't quote me on that who sneezed, who cried. He was God's salvation plan for the whole world. He was always grateful to God. He never took God for granted. And now he's the one advocating for us if we trust him as God's savior. He's the one defending us before God, saying that he's covered our ungratefulness. So do you trust him? Have you said thank you to God for the gift that is Jesus? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, a slightly different thing to think about, do you share Simeon and Anna's vision? Both Simeon and Anna are delighted that Jesus is the Savior, not just for the people of Israel, but for the whole world. Do we realize that Jesus is the Savior for the whole world? How does that actually impact our actions and our prayers? An older Christian put it to me this way. If everyone you prayed for this past week was saved, if everyone you prayed for who didn't know Jesus yet was saved, how many new Christians would there be in the world? If God chose to answer every one of your prayers? It's a hard-hitting question, isn't it? I don't think I need many additional hands to count the number in my case. So as we remember Jesus, this baby with a very busy future as the Savior of the world, do we live like he is the Savior of the world? Do we pray like he is the Savior of the world? Well, that's the end of the business in the temple. It's all concluded. And after that, God was carried out of the temple. Now, please look with me at verses 39 and 40. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Once again, we are reminded of Mary and Joseph's obedience to God's law once they had fulfilled everything. And we see that Jesus, that God Himself, was carried out of the temple. For Simeon and Anna, that means their, their, their long wait was over. But there's something a bit weird there because Jesus hadn't saved the world yet. He couldn't walk. He couldn't burp himself. No. They had seen enough to know that God was going to keep his promises. See, one Aussie tradition that my wife Chantelle and I enjoy joining in on is driving holidays. I feel like that's just something very quintessentially Australian, driving around uh, in fact, just recently, we actually drove to Melbourne, took the ferry across and drove around Tassie a bit and drove back. Um, now, for me, there's always that moment when driving back from kind of the east, when you just get past Murray Bridge, when you hit the southern, southeastern freeway, and you see freeway, you know, start a freeway. I mean, sure, you've got another 73Ks to go before you hit town. But the second you get onto that freeway, you know that you're on the road home you know that you're on that home stretch. You know it's not long to go. And it's the same for Simeon and Anna. Sure, they haven't reached their destination yet. They haven't seen God's consolation and redemption there. But they've hit the start of the freeway. They've seen God's Savior. And they know it's only a matter of time before they're home. They know it's only a matter of time before this baby grows up and achieves the salvation plan that God had long promised Jesus was carried out of the temple. He continued to grow. He grew strong. He didn't stay a baby. He grew up. Now, if you're someone here today who doesn't know Jesus yet, it's great that you're here. Why not get to know him? Find out more about who this Jesus is. Find out more about his life. Read the rest of the Gospel of Luke. See him grow up. See him live out his role as Savior of the world. A little bit earlier today, I asked you what you were waiting for. For Simeon and Anna, they were waiting for God's salvation to finally be revealed. They were waiting for a Savior. They were waiting for Jesus. And when they met this baby boy, they could not contain their joy. They could see the end of their wait. Well, what about for us? Do you realize that Jesus is the Savior we're waiting on? For those of you who have accepted Jesus as your Savior, do you realize that we are waiting for him to return? That that's the most important wait. See, waiting for Jesus to return means that like Simeon and Anna, who who stayed in the temple courts regularly, we are living our lives entirely in view of his coming. See, every decision we make, every prayer that we put on our prayer list, every job offer we choose to take or job offer we choose to decline, every hope and dream, every inclination of our hearts all of it is waiting for jesus all of it's waiting for him to return and so instead of putting it in my own words i've stolen charles wesley's words from the great christmas hymn come thou long expected jesus he puts it this way born thy people to deliver born a child and yet a king born to raise in us forever reign in us forever Now, thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. What are you waiting for? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for Jesus, your son, this busy baby boy, born saviour of the world. By your own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By your all-sufficient merit, raise us to your glorious throne. As many Christians have sung in those words, God, we pray that you will help us to wait eagerly and expectantly for Jesus' return. Amen.